We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash lawless. Just go to Indeed.com slash lawless right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed com slash lawless terms and conditions apply need to hire you need indeed hello sunshine i'm alexi lawless and welcome to the state of the union podcast we look at the video game on and off the field through the lens of red white and blue colored glasses joining me as always my friend my colleague my guiding light David Mossy, a soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. Mossy, uh, how are you doing on this? I don't even know what day it is uh, anymore, but we, we roll on. We soldier on when it comes uh, to, this, uh, to this World Cup. How are you doing, my friend? Doing well. We had a couple of days off yep. uh, where I got to enjoy Sydney. Uh, I went to Manly Beach on one of them. Mm. And I went to Taronga Zoo on the other where I purchased this little souvenir. Look at you bringing props. I love it. Yeah. Now that would be a uh, kangaroo, right? Yep. And that would be the uh, the Joey, right? Yeah. The thing. Yep. Okay. Yep. yep. And uh, how was it? Good. Uh, fun time. Yeah, I loved it. Yeah. yeah. I went last night, and I, I rested a little bit, and then last night I I too went to Manly to see the um, the Manly Sea Eagles. No, Sea. Yeah, the Sea Eagles play against the Panthers of, and I can't remember the name of it. Parent. Parent Panthers, exactly, in a, a rugby game. Oh, wow. Rugby match. Excellent. It was awesome. It was a wonderful, I got a real, like, hometown, almost like um, uh, minor league baseball type of vibe to it. There were cheerleaders and kids, and uh, we sat on the grass on this wonderful grassy type of knoll uh, and, you know, had some beers and hung out. uh, And it was just a really, it was almost like... um, Slap shot in that minor league type of feel, but in a, in a, a, a wonderful way. And, you know, I, I've watched it on television, but I've never watched it alive. And it was interesting to see how they deal with the physical nature of that game, obviously without any pads going forward. Incredible athletes. Uh, so just a fun, fun night out that we, uh, that we had. I don't think I've ever heard the term grassy knoll used not in relation <laughs> to the Kennedy assassination. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. Yeah. I, well, I mean... But it, it was a knoll that is grassy, and therefore, you know, I mean, we can associate it with, uh, with that. Um, before, before we get started uh, on, the, on the games today, let's, uh, let's, let's button this one up here. When we last we spoke a few days ago, we told you about the CNN um, graphic that had come up. There it is right there, myself and the great Megan Rapino <laughs> comparing our accomplishments when it comes to the uh, World Cup. I'm going to be honest with you, and we told you then we could not verify this, and I... For the last couple of days, I thought that this was not true. I, th- I thought this was a Photoshop type of thing. And I thought it was pretty clever and funny. <laughs> Until I got sent the actual friggin' link to this CNN uh, segment that happened. Now, I don't know what part of CNN it happened. It could be 
CNN International or CNN Mongolia. I don't know, whatever it is. But it actually exists in video form. And it, I mean, so... So now it's it's not it's not a funny type of thing. It's like this is this is ridiculous. Number one, it's I mean let's be honest, it's disingenuous, okay? Because you're comparing a defender to a forward, somebody that whose job it is to score goals to somebody whose job it is to stop goals. So the goals for and all that kind of stuff. And as I mentioned before, if you're just comparing World Cup accomplishments. It's not even a question that Megan Rapino is up there. And she would beat the majority of men when it comes to the history of uh, the U.S. men's national team. But number two, what was implied in this was that because I didn't live up to Megan Rapino's uh, uh, resume when it comes to a World Cup, that I wasn't therefore qualified to talk about her in a World Cup or talk about this women's World Cup or talk about this women's failure in the World, in the World Cup. And that is just absolutely uh, ridiculous. You're qualified, anybody is qualified, uh, qualified to do it. And third, not for nothing, but this is a comparison between Megan Rapinoe winning Women's World Cup trophies and me not winning any Men's World Cup trophies. And the reality is, like it or not, back when I used to play, and I know it was a long time ago, I was not allowed to win the Women's World Cup. Now, who knows? That might change in the future. But this is the reality when it goes back and forth. So, CNN, you're a joke, okay? I was willing to give you the benefit of the doubt. I was going to laugh. Everything was okay. But the fact that this is actually a true thing, you are a freaking joke. Anyway, uh, let's get to the game, shall we? Let's do it. All right. Spain, Netherlands. Two to one. Spain wins this one. Uh, Spain, the top of a lot of people's list. Number two in my power rankings. We'll get to who was uh, number one. Uh, but they, they came through this one. It was not the most beautiful Spanish performance. But ultimately, this Spanish team continues to roll on. We've said time and time again, and Rob Stone and I were talking about it on set, that this is a team that four years ago wasn't ready for primetime. They are absolutely ready for primetime right now. And even though it took them a little bit longer and took them the, uh, what, the, uh, the 100, 120, um, they ultimately got the job done. They are the best team in this tournament, but this game was also a cautionary tale. Okay. It reminded me of a match I referenced in our last podcast, the quarterfinals of the Euros against England, in which they played England off the park for the first 80 minutes or so, but were only up 1-0 and they should have been up by a lot more. And then they surrendered a late equalizer to Ella Toon. The game went into extra time. Georgia Stanway scored. England ended up winning 2-1. And it almost happened again here because the way they outplayed the Dutch in the first half, this game should have been done and dusted. It wasn't. They do get the penalty uh, goal, so they go up 1-0. But then Stephanie van der Graaff equalized, and all of a sudden Spain find themselves in extra time in a match in which they were far superior for the majority of it. They do end up getting the winner with Paraguayo, 19-year-old Barcelona player, one of the breakout stars on this team. Uh, so they survive, but again, it just goes to show you that they have to be careful sometimes that all that possession, all that domination, it has to translate into more on the scoreboard. I think this is a fascinating team, not just of what they are on the field, but also what they are off the field, and Jorge Vilda and that whole saga of how he has come to be uh, and the success that he has had. I mean, even, uh, even ultimately in the, uh, in the goal from Paracuelo, he, she, he switched her to the opposite side, and that ultimately was the, was the result in terms of the uh, the goal for the uh, for the 19 year old. But again, it, it it bears repeating: this is a guy who the federation backed when they very easily could have gotten rid of and said, "Look, it's just easier, and we will get rid of you." This is a, a guy who still to this day did whatever he did 
that rubbed a portion of players the wrong way, and so much so that, you know, the Kings say the 15 um, and, a, and, a, and a large group are not here. So think of how good they could be. And yet he has brought them historically to their best finish so far. And while they weren't ready for primetime four years ago, to your point, now I got David Mossy sitting next to me saying that this is the best team in the tournament. Pretty, pretty amazing stuff. And by the way, Calden Tay, the player who converted the penalty, was one of the 15 who mutinied. And then there were three that came back. She was one of them. Bon Mati was another. So uh, getting some of those players back has proven to be very crucial for them in this tournament. But it is, it is an amazing story. And, and, and when I say they, they could have gotten rid of him because we have seen, I mean, you can look at France or others, where they just say, okay, this is not happening from the player's perspective. And this is a dis- the disruptive type of uh, person to have here. Whether, whether it's justified or not, sometimes the easiest solution is to change the coach because you can't change all, all the players. A couple of notes in this one. Uh, there was a play in the second half I want to get your take on. Right. Uh, Berenstein, and mm-hmm. that's what we're going with, right? Berenstein. Berenstein, Yes, the bear in the stein yeah, is what we That was a point of great everybody. debate uh, today, <laughs> yes. uh, how to pronounce her name. So Berenstein, taken down in the box by Paredes. Yep. Referee whistles for a penalty. VAR calls her over. She comes back and overturns it. I thought that was a strange overturn. What did you make of it? Yeah, it was, you think CNN's a joke. I mean, that was a joke of a call. No, it's not as bad as CNN. So, but that was a joke of a call because I thought it was a foul. And not only was it a foul, but because the defender wasn't actually making an attempt and playing the ball, it actually should have been a red card. Not only was it neither a red card or yellow card, but even the penalty was gone. And we've said this time and time again, as soon as you get called over to the principal's office, basically, and the voice from above comes down that says, hey, we think that you made a mistake here. We've seen time and time again where referees, they don't want to stand on what they made. in the, And some of it's absolutely justified because you can't see everything that's happening in real time. And so you can see something and say, yeah, I missed that. This one, I think nobody would have complained ultimately if she continued on. Was it soft? Yes. But you cannot be a little pregnant, my friend. In the first half, there was a play where Spain had two straight shots off the post, and then it came back, and it hit a Dutch player in the arm when they were lying on the ground. We all thought, looking at it, that should have been a penalty. Dr. Joe Macknick came in and said no. Uh, That was an interesting one as well. The the only reason why I think it should have been is because you said she was lying on the ground. Actually, if you see it, she she went to ground and then was getting up and used her arm. Now, Dr. Joe will say that the, the ball hit her arm, the, the, the movement of the arm didn't justify that. I, 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 we've seen this call before, and I would have had no problem had they called it, because in that moment of getting up, you certainly made yourself bigger, even though you're on the ground. So it's no longer about sliding, because they talk about bracing yourself, and, and, and I completely understand that. But in this moment, she had already gone to ground. Now she was getting up, and not only as, as she was getting up, she made herself bigger, and in doing so, prevented the ball from going to the opposition that would have been an easy goal. And so, I, you know, I, I, I disagree. But again, it is a subjective type of thing. They looked at it. They didn't think so. And, uh, and off we go. What's next? Uh, Stephanie Vandergraft had a really eventful day. <laughs> yes. she, she gives away a penalty needlessly by sticking her arm out. No doubt about that decision, uh, which also came about after a VAR review. Uh, and she's a defender. And then the Dutch coach made a very intelligent sub, uh, brought in the defender, moved her up the field, and lo and behold, she scores this fantastic equalizer. By the way, did you see that finish? <laughs> I mean, I don't think I don't think we actually did did it justice in the in the broadcast where that was from a long way out, and she didn't even hesitate. And and we've seen this uh, in different times where the ball just goes up, just it all has to go just a millimeter up, and you can get some real good meat on it. And she smacks this one to the far post. But to your point, you know, coaching. 
you put a center center back up in the uh, up in the moment that you need a goal, and she comes through. So I mean, she went from the villain with the handball, which is a handball, nobody was questioning that, to the hero on the other end. But then ultimately, it didn't work out for them. And then Parayuelo gets the winner, uh, only 19, and young phenoms are becoming a bit of a theme at this World Cup. We know what 18-year-old Linda Caicedo's done. Parayuelo gets the winner here for Spain. So yeah, that's something that's emerging as a theme as well. All right, should we go to the next game? Let's do it. All right, Sweden two, Japan one. Goodbye, Japan. And you know, let's take let's take Japan first because you know this was anyway this has to be looked at. You know, Carly Lloyd was sitting next to us today on the on set and. You, as Japan, it came, became evident that Japan was going out of this tournament. She really she felt sad. She, she, has, she had a real connection to this Japan team, and we know they have, a, they have a history. But the reality is that this team, you know, nobody dislikes Japan, all right? You know, we talked about the U.S. being unlikable, this, US, this version of the U.S. team. Nobody doesn't like Japan. Everybody can like Japan. The way that they play... The way that they behave, the, you know, the type of personality individually and collectively that they are. And I'll go back to the way that they played. Even though they're leaving this tournament, I think you can argue that they played, and I know it's subjective, but the best soccer at this tournament. They played in multiple ways. They showed their depth. They showed their flexibility. Whether they had 60% possession in one, whether they had 20% possession in one, it didn't matter. And they picked the worst moment to play a bad 45 minutes. And the soccer gods did not smile upon them, uh, them today. And for the first time this tournament, I mean, literally the first time this tournament, they suffered. The first time that things did not go their way, ultimately, was, uh, it ended up being their demise. Yeah, the first 45 minutes of this game, that was the Sweden team I thought we were going to see in this tournament, and we hadn't seen it up to this point. But I thought they were brilliant. They played Japan off the field. Should have been up more than 1-0 at the half. They get the goal from Illerstedt, who, by the way, a defender who's in the golden boot this race insane, with four right? goals. And you could consider that a set-piece goal. I know it was no, I do. started I, off with a set-piece. No, I, I do. Even if it's a recirculation, right. it's still, you know, the reason why she's even up there right. is because it's a exactly. set-piece. Exactly. So, so, yeah, we counted. So, yeah, that's, again, Sweden, their set-piece mastery. They get the goal. Then they get a penalty early in the second half. They look to be cruising. But, yeah, you're right. Japan just flipped that switch. And, man, the, the way they finished that game, I mean, they're, Sweden are very lucky that they Another didn't Another 10 minutes, extra time. Uh, yes. you know, if that's a 100-minute, you know, well, it was actually with, with the extra time. But Japan, you, they miss a penalty off the crossbar. And then another shot off the crossbar that I can't believe didn't go in. They did score a minute later, but part, sort of part of the same sequence, but nevertheless, it was incredible. Sweden, the way these margins the last couple of games around the goal line have kind of gone their way. It, it was, you know, this was a nutty, nutty type of game. But this also means that in the best possible sense, we are going to see something that's never been done before. We are going to see a team that has never won the World Cup, the Women's World Cup before, win a World Cup because Japan was the last one standing of the uh, previous, uh, previous winners. So thank you, Japan. Thank you for you know, providing us with a World Cup and a run of games that for the most part and almost entirely was just wonderful to see uh, and exciting and entertaining in terms of uh, what you do. All right, let's spin it to, uh, to uh, tomorrow because we have two more games, Australia versus France and England versus Colombia. All right, Australia, France. Thoughts as we get closer to this? Uh, I mentioned that I was at Manly Beach a couple mm -hmm. days ago. I picked up an Australian newspaper to read, and there was an article about whether Sam Kerr should start or not and different pundits being interviewed about it. Our good friend Ian Wright uh, came out and said, absolutely, if she's fit, she has to start. He said, not starting Sam Kerr in this game would be like Argentina not starting Messi in a 
do or die match? Well, Sam Kerr is not messy. Um, and, and no, I, eh, Tony Gustafson, we, we, we just actually saw sound from him today of him saying, look, if she can play and play 120 and she is quote unquote fit, and I know that's a subjective type of definition, um, then he's going to start her. And I think to your point, she is and has been Australia for a long time and one of the great goal scorers in the world. Having said that, they have gotten on without her. It doesn't mean that they're not better with her. There's a part of me, we talked about this on set too, and Ari Hinks said, absolutely, you start her. Carly Lloyd said, no, I think you bring her off as a sub. And I think I agree with, uh, with Carly. What do you think that should be done and then what do you think will be done? Uh, I think she should come off the bench, but based on the comments we played tonight, I, I, I kind of think she might start. Really? Yeah. Why do you believe him now? They've been, you know, basically BSing us all tournament yeah. about is she there, isn't she there, can she play, can't she play? Now, we do have evidence of her getting on the field, albeit for 10, 15 minutes, where, where she looked good. But if this is to believe, and I think we can believe that she did injure her calf, torn, whatever it ends up being, I mean, that's, that's a big thing. And so, is she ready to go 120 minutes? I don't know. What, are you going to run her and, and just kind of test it and see if she's ready to do that? She's going to say, yeah, I'm great. In the same way the previous game, I was great. And I'm that many more days, that many more days better. But I don't think, given the injury, at least the way that it has been described to us, that there's any way that she is ready to go 120 minutes. Yeah, I remember the cautionary tale on this is the 2014 UEFA Champions League men's final, Real Madrid, Atletico Madrid, in which Diego Costa was nursing an injury, mm -hmm. talked his way into the starting lineup, and then had to get subbed out 10 minutes in because he clearly couldn't go. You'd hate for that to happen to Australia. So, yeah, I mean, yeah they have to be I don't careful. Think how that, they... I mean, given, again, the limited time we have seen, I'm not sure that Sam Kerr is, uh, is there. Ultimately, do you think that Australia gets this done? I said the other night, yes, but the way both you and Carly uh, were bullish on France, uh, I'm second-guessing myself. France is the better team. By picking Australia, I'm buying into the, the magic sure, you know, sure. and, and all that. And that's okay. And that, that, that is something. So that's not just a bunch of BS. But when it comes to France, we were talking about this earlier, it's amazing how things kind of come full circle. We remember the U.S. losing in the quarterfinals, to, or the, France losing in the quarterfinals against France. France being the host, and all of that pressure that they talked about. And now, four years later, they find themselves in the U.S. position playing against Australia. Now, France playing against the United States back in, in 2019 is a little different type of proposition than France playing against uh, Australia. But the pressure, I think, is still on Australia to come good. Matilda Madness is going on right now. We can feel it. We can see it. That's a, that's a good thing. We want that for the tournament. We're excited the fact that the host nation is still, is still in it. But to your point, I think they are facing the best team that they, have that, they will face, uh, that they have faced yet at this tournament, a team that is better than them, and now a France team, four more, four more years of, of experience, uh, with a brand-new coach and a very different mindset and a different way of approaching this game, not being the hosts, obviously, and not having that type of pressure. So, uh, And then England-Columbia, the last quarterfinal. Um, Lauren James suspended. Yeah. Colombia have that dynamic duo of Linda Caicedo and Catalina Uzme. I think England advanced, but it's going to be close. This is a tough match. For you me. do. You, yeah. don't, you give the slight edge to England? Or slight edge. Just because of what you've already seen from Colombia. Correct. I mean, they. this is not a fly-by-night type of outfit. This is 
they deserve to be here, Colombia. And we have seen them rise to the occasion. And, and to your point, in terms of the talent that they have, you know, these, these players can unlock a defense. These players are among the best in the, in the world. And so this is, yeah, I'm, I'm still going to go with England, ultimately. But I, I, to your point, I think I agree where it's going to be a whole lot closer than we thought. In the very first podcast we did here in Sydney, I said my overarching theme for this tournament was whether Europe, where we've seen such growth in the women's game, particularly at club level, whether we could finally translate at the World Cup level. And we do have a real possibility here of an all-Europe semifinal. We both think England is going to advance. Yep. France, Australia, probably like a 50-50 proposition. If France advanced there, we have Spain and Sweden already. So that is a possibility. So that would be kind of a well, this is interesting a good development in the women's game. To, yeah. you know, Because I know some people are, are watching through the night. Some people aren't. But I think we had a really interesting conversation today about the changing world of the women's game. And obviously, you know, the U.S. for so long being kind of the center of the universe when it comes to the NWSL and what they have created. And let's be honest, this is the most successful professional women's soccer league in the history in the United States. And they oftentimes, you know, pride themselves on being and self-proclaiming to be the best league in the world. You know, when you say that, Ari Hinks starts rolling her eyes and says, well, that's not necessarily the case. And when you look at the fact that five of the, uh, whatever is 140 whatever players that started uh, that of the eight teams that are finally left, only five of them are from the NWSL, you know, this is an alarm. And this should be an alarm to NWSL and to the ownership there that they are letting this slip away. They're letting this slip through their hands. The, the NWSL is different than Major League Soccer in that you have a head start when it comes to the sport in general. You have a head start when it comes to the quality of your league. And you can compete, not only compete, but if you want to, you can decimate the rest of the world in terms of the money that you, that you spend. And so with relatively less money, you can still do great things. And you are letting it, you're, you're pissing it away right now because England is coming. And so the NWSL and the ownership, if they really want to compete and you know, keep their place at the top, they have got to do some things uh, going forward. And if they do, they can be the best league. They can have the best competition. They can be a league of choice going forward relative to, the, uh, relative to the rest of the world. But if not, this trend is going to continue, and you will lose it, and you will not get it back. And that would be unfortunate for the league and for American soccer and for the national team that we know relies on the NWSL. All right, let's go. We have a few more minutes here before we get out here. Uh, U.S. men's national team news. Matt Turner. Leaving Arsenal, we know he's been a backup there for the last couple of years. I'm sure he's had a wonderful time, but he likes to play soccer, as soccer players do. Wonderful goalkeeper. Uh, it hasn't hurt him from a national team perspective, but he wants to play, and so evidently he is off to uh, Nottingham Forest. Yeah, I've been asking Sean for this segment because uh, for a few nights because while we've been here covering the Women's of, World Cup, the European Summer Transfer Window rolls on, and Americans are a lot in the news. Yeah, this is an interesting one. Matt Turner leaving Arsenal after one season. Uh, it's not a loan. It's a sale. He's going to Nottingham Forest. Uh, it is interesting that Arsenal unloaded him after one season. But nevertheless, I think this is a good thing because he's staying in the Premier League and going somewhere where he's going to get to be a week-in, week-out starter, yep. presumably. So, yeah, I think this is a terrific move for him. It is. I don't know what it says. I mean, I don't know. Arsenal's just being altruistic or anything. <laughs> but I don't think that they see him fighting for that number one position. And 
either now or in the future because he's a nice to have but not a need to have. So fine. It's great because I love Matt Turner and I want him playing. To your point, I think that's a good one. Other stuff going on? I mean, this is just a bombshell news. Tyler Adams goes to Chelsea. That it, Chelsea's we, still in the Premier League, right? Correct. Okay. I mean, we came to find out recently that Tyler Adams did have a relegation release clause in his contract, so he could be had for an amount that I think is a bargain for him. Uh, so a bunch of different clubs were mentioned at different points in the last few weeks, and it ends up being Chelsea who step up and trigger that clause and buy him. And U.S. fans are really divided on this because they generally like the idea of an American player going to play for one of the quote-unquote quote super clubs, but it is Chelsea where we all just went through this very <laughs> trying Pulisic experience and the relationship got very toxic on Twitter between Chelsea fans and U.S. national team fans. So now here we go again, Tyler Adams. We'll see how that goes. Do you think if Tyler Adams was an American that this deal would happen? If he wasn't an American? Um, how much of him being American is, is this deal about? Because you lose one big American, and so you lose eyeballs, you lose people tuning in because of the fact simply that, in that case, it was Christian Pulisic that was part of the team. Now, I mean, I care about Chelsea more now because of this than I did 12 hours the ago. The interesting thing is we heard uh, this summer when Pulisic left that he didn't really embrace right. being the American player for They're Chelsea. They're very different There were a lot of media opportunities that they had set up for him that were based around the idea of him being American, and he turned them all down, which was a source of frustration at the club. Be interesting to see how Tyler Adams handles I, that. I also think, as good as Christian Pulisic is, there, there's kind of a specialty aura about him, you know, and a, and a luxury type of player to have. And I think Tyler Adams, in what he has shown so far in the EPL, there's a lot of teams that say, I would like to have that, uh, that player. Now, keep in mind, he's also coming off of a serious hamstring uh, injury, so hopefully all that has been cleared up and he's good to go. And we'll see what his role is. Chelsea thought they were going to get Moises Caicedo, but that was the big breaking news today. He's going to Liverpool instead. I still expect Chelsea to bring in another midfielder before the window is up, and they have Enzo Fernandez. So I think they have Tyler Adams ticketed for a backup role, uh, but we'll see. Okay. Who else we got moving? Well, you know, the, the American Serie A thing that we talked about it's is real. happening. Yep. Yunus Musa did end up signing with AC Milan. So now you have Christian Pulisic and Yunus Musa at AC Milan. And then Wesson McKinney performed well enough in the preseason where it looks like Juventus is going to keep him now. There was a game against Real Madrid in which he assisted Timmy Way for a goal. And so you're going to have those two guys p potentially playing for Juventus. The one uh, that I thought was going to happen at one point was Balogun going to Inter Milan. But now you're hearing that it, there's some frustration in the Balogun camp that Arsenal's asking price has been too high, and it's priced out some teams that Balogun would have wanted to go to, including Inter Milan. So they're balking at paying what Arsenal's asking for. So we'll see if uh, whatever ends up happening there and where Balogun ends up. But had he gone to Inter Milan along with the other players I mentioned, then Serie A, that would have been the league for Americans to follow. I mean, Mambo Italiano and Mambo Americano. I mean, this is... This is the place for Americans. There's more, right? I mean, we're burying the lead here? Yeah, yeah. Producer Sean Sullivan, very excited about this one. He's a Bologna fan. I guess there are reports that Kate Cowell is headed to Bologna. There you go. There you go. I mean, that's the destination uh, for a lot of American players. I think they're, they're quality players, they're cheap relative to others, and they bring eyeballs. You know, we just talked about ha what uh, having an American can do to, for your brand. La dota, la grasa, la rosa. Oh, wow. Look at you. you yeah. Look at you, buddy. Awesome. Um, uh, but one last one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One American player whose situation is not good right now. It's interesting the contrast 
club in the country for him is Serginio Dest. Mm -hmm. um, disastrous loan spell with AC Milan, so they didn't buy him permanently. He went back to Barcelona. You thought maybe he can impress Xavi in the preseason. That didn't happen at all. And they're talking about terminating his contract because they said they don't want him and nobody else has stepped up with a suitable offer. And this is a guy who, when we watch him play for the U.S. national team, I mean, you remember that semifinal against Mexico, the Nations League, he was absolutely brilliant. We still think of him as one of these core guys as part of this generation that's going to take the U.S. national team to new heights. But for whatever reason, at club level, his stock has really dropped. I mean, but has it hurt him from a national team perspective? So, I mean, and look, we want him to get, uh, get someplace where he is playing. But it's kind of, Serginho, we know, he is a free spirit. He is an eccentric type of dude. And so I guess this is just the pathway that he is ultimately taking. Anything else, my friend? That's it. All right, listen, we will uh, be back with you tomorrow um, with the, uh, like we said, the uh, Australia and France game. Can't wait to see how that, uh, that ends up. And then, obviously, with the England-Columbia uh, game, we thank State Farm. We thank everybody else out there. We love you so much. We thank you for tuning in and reviewing and rating and subscribing. We thank everybody out there except CNN. All right, uh, we'll talk to you again tomorrow. And until then, and as always, my friends, size the day.